0: This week, Garrett Motion files for Chapter 11. Transocean files counterclaims against note holders. Hertz seeks to sell certain U.S. franchise rights. And, as always, updates from Puerto Rico.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding.
2: And I'm Raksha Manjanath. In lieu of our deep dive today, we'll review last week, which was fairly newsy, in greater breadth. It's Sunday, September
1: 27th. Garrett Motion, a Switzerland-based designer, manufacturer, and seller of turbocharger, electric boosting, and connected vehicle technologies, and several affiliates, filed Chapter 11 petitions in the Southern District of New York on September 20th, reporting approximately $2.8 billion of debt. The debtors also filed a motion to sell their assets to KPS Capital Partners for $2.1 billion, plus assumption of substantially all ordinary course trade liabilities subject to higher bids. The debtors, which entered Chapter 11 with a restructuring support agreement with holders of approximately 61% of senior secured term loan debt, seek approval of $250 million in dip financing. The filing follows months of litigation over the company's approximately $1.23 billion in outstanding subordinated asbestos indemnification liabilities to former parent Honeywell International. As part of the debtor's spinoff from Honeywell in October 2018, debtor Garrett Asasco Inc. agreed to indemnify Honeywell for 90% of Honeywell's asbestos liability relating to its former Bendix subsidiary. According to the debtors, total payments under the 30-year indemnification agreement could exceed $5 billion. In late 2019, the debtors filed suit against Honeywell in New York State Court to invalidate the indemnification agreement as, quote, unconscionable and a breach of fiduciary duty by Garrett's then directors and officers, who were controlled by Honeywell in the deal. Honeywell has moved to dismiss the debtors' claims, arguing that it was free to set the terms of the spinoff, quote, however it sees fit. On September 23rd, the debtors removed the action to federal court and requested referral to the bankruptcy court. The plan contemplated by the DSA would use the proceeds of the KPS sale to pay pre-petition term lenders in full and satisfy at least 90% of noteholder claims. The entities acquired by KPS would emerge as reorganized debtors, and the claims not assumed by KPS, including Honeywell's claims, would share in the remaining sale proceeds and the proceeds of excluded causes of action, including claims against Honeywell, via liquidating trusts. According to Honeywell, quote, these chapter 11 cases and the architecture embedded in Garrett's proposed sale and plan transactions are part of a continuing imprudent strategy to evade Garrett's obligations to Honeywell undertaken by a management team that is uninformed or ill-advised of its fiduciary duties to creditors and
0: shareholders. In the Valeris bankruptcy cases, Judge Marvin Isgard granted the debtors dip financing motion as provided by senior noteholders, over the objection of Citibank as agent for the RCF lenders. The hearing on the motion started Thursday and concluded Friday. In approving the proposed DIP financing in full, judges have concluded that the debtors have demonstrated, quote, by clear and convincing evidence that they exercise reasonable business judgment in selecting the ad hoc noteholder group's DIP proposal and sticking with that proposal in the face of subsequently improved alternative proposals given that the $20 million pre-petition DIP fee had become a sunk cost, quote, by the time you get to August. While Judge Isger noted the price difference between the noteholder proposal and the RFCF's competing proposal, he noted that the ad hoc noteholder Cruz dip proposal had $50 million more in its face in principle and $50 million in potential pick. The liquidity features alone, quote, are easily, easily worth the price difference, the court said. Judges also highlighted the significance of the debtors being aligned with their bondholders, particularly in light of significant issues such as the optionality or potential equitizing RCA and potential exit financing that the debtors had to consider.
1: As expected, the effective date for the bankrupt retailer Neiman's plan of reorganization occurred on Friday, permitting the company to shed nearly 75% or approximately $4 billion of its debt. The plan effectuates the previously announced global settlement of claims related to the controversial My Teresa transfer. Separately, Marble Ridge Master Fund LP filed its opposition to the debtor's request for a preliminary injunction against defendants itself and Marble Ridge Capital LP. The debtors seek injunctive relief and damages to compensate the debtors and their estates for the harm caused by Marble Ridge's alleged breach of fiduciary duty and bad faith conduct in connection with Marble Ridge founder and managing partner David Kamensky's conduct in purportedly coercing Jeffries, an outside investor, to refrain from bidding against Marble Ridge for the My Teresa Series B preferred shares. Master Fund's opposition brief argues that the conducts giving rise to the debtors' claims for relief does not warrant the preliminary injunction sought by the debtors, which seeks to freeze $55 million of Marble Ridge's funds to secure a potential money judgment in the underlying litigation. The brief was subsequently unsealed, revealing emails from UCC advisors saying Jeffrey's bid was not actionable because of numerous contingencies and revealing interest by several parties to the cash-out process.
0: Hydraulic Fracturing Services Company, FTS International, filed for Chapter 11 protection in the Southern District of Texas. The debtors had filed a proposed disclosure statement one day before filing for Chapter 11 and also a restructuring support agreement signed with creditors holding approximately 87.6% of the principal amount outstanding of holders of the two debt classes eligible to vote on the plan. The plan provides for holders of secure debt claims to exchange their claims for a pro rata share of $30.7 million in cash consideration and 90.1% of the new equity, subject to dilution by a management incentive plan and warrants, minus a designated percentage of reorganized equity com- corresponding to the value of unencumbered assets distributable to unsecured claims. The plan also contemplates the payment of all claims for ongoing trade partners and a recovery for holders of existing equity who will receive their pro-rata share of an interest in 9.9% of the new equity subject to dilution. The debtors intend to finance the Chapter 11 cases through the consensual use of cash collateral. The company took steps to reduce expenditures and increase operating efficiencies, including salary and benefit reductions, such as voluntary 25% executive pay cuts on top of 15% cuts already in place for 2020, measures to decrease costs through technological initiatives and contract renegotiations. Ultimately, however, the debtors determined that cost savings and operational efficiency improvements, absent improvements, in commodity prices would not insulate them from market compression in the struggling commodities market. FTS began seeking external strategic advice in February, engaging Kirkland as counsel and Lazard as financial advisor. Winston and Strawn was the debtor's existing corporate counsel. Debtors also retained Alvarez and Marcel in July. In April, the debtors were engaged by secured debt holders, including ad hoc groups for secured note holders and term loan lenders. After nearly four months of, quote, hard-fought arms-length negotiations, debtors and the secured note holder gr- uh, group reached an agreement on the transaction structure that is reflected in the restructuring support agreement.
1: On Thursday, rig contractor Transocean filed an answer and five counterclaims with a motion for summary judgment on the counterclaims in the white box suit challenging the company's ability under the indenture for the existing priority guarantee notes or JPGNs due 2027 to layer indirectly held structurally senior subsidiaries without those subsidiaries guaranteeing the JPGNs. Transocean provided Structurally Senior Guarantees to the new Senior Priority Guarantee Notes, or SPGNs, which were created in the recently disclosed exchange transactions without providing matching guarantees to the JPGNs. The counterclaims seek declaratory judgment that the exchange transactions do not violate the indenture, as claimed, and that a notice of default delivered on September 2nd. By 2027, existing guarantee note holders Whitebox and PIMCO is invalid and must be withdrawn. In a letter to the court requesting an expedited hearing on its summary judgment motion, Transocean said it is, quote, essential for the motion to be heard and decided by December 1st. Maintaining its position that Whitebox's claim of a default is baseless, Transocean acknowledges that, quote, it creates a series of significant problems for the company, including the potential loss of access to $1.3 billion in revolver availability if the alleged default turns into an event of default under the 2027 JPGN indenture after the expiration of a 90-day cure period on December 1st.
2: On Wednesday, European notes issuer Hertz Holdings Netherlands BV announced a consent solicitation to holders of its 500 million euro 2023 notes and its 225 million euro 2021 notes to extend the notes temporary waiver of defaults triggered by the U.S. Chapter 11 in May. The waiver is set to expire on September 30th to December 31st. The company had requested a six-month waiver, but note holders negotiated this down to three months, sources said. According to proposed amendments, part of the consent solicitation viewed by REORG would commit Hertz to issue an agreement in principle with an ad hoc group of holders of its Euro-dominated notes on the terms of a transaction relating to the notes no later than October 30th. The consent solicitation, once effective, would create further information reporting obligations for the company to the ad hoc group and impose ticking fees if an agreement in principle is not reached by October 30th or the company fails to provide adequate information to that ad hoc group. Consenting note holders will receive a consent fee of €5 per €1,000 principal amount of the 2021 and 2023 notes. In bankruptcy court on Tuesday, the Hertz debtors filed motion seeking approval of sale procedures for certain U.S. franchise rights and related assets and approval for debtors Donlan Corp. and the Hertz Corp. to enter into transaction documents related to a new securitization facility supporting the Donlan fleet leasing business. A declaration in support of the franchise sale procedures from Michael Dydrick, director of the U.S. Pr- franchise operations at Hearst Corporation, states that the debtors have identified more than 50, quote, marketed territories, that is, certain company-run locations and related assets that they intend to offer to divest to potential franchisees. Since September 8th, Dadrick adds, the company has received indications of interest from 30 prospective franchisees and it has entered into 21 non-disclosure agreements to allow the company to share confidential information and explore potential sales. The Donlan securitization motion notes that as a result of amortization events triggered by the Chapter 11 filing, the Donlan fleet leasing and management business no longer has access to the HFLF securitization facility that it used pre-petitioned to finance its vehicle purchases. As a solution, a new securitization facility would be incurred at a newly formed non-debtor, quote, bankruptcy remote indirect subsidiary of Donlan Corp., which is Don Fleet Lease Funding LLC, to fund vehicle acquisitions, quote on a similar basis as the prepetition facility, in exchange for a security interest in the non debtor affiliate's vehicles, the leases related thereto, and the sale proceeds thereof. The motion seeks authority for debtors Donnan Corporation and THC to enter into quote ancillary transaction documents pursuant to which they would provide guarantees of the new facility and servicing and other administrative services to the new non-debtor issuer entity. The debtors stressed that the purchase vehicles are property of a non-debtor and that, therefore, the debtors are not asking the court for the authorization to transfer any estate assets.
1: At the conclusion of Wednesday's hearing in the Revenue Bond Adversary Proceedings in Puerto Rico's Title III cases, Judge Laura Taylor Swain reserved decision on the Promesa Oversight Board's motions for partial summary judgment that addressed the issues of whether the defendants in the Revenue Bond Adversary Proceedings hold secured claims against the Commonwealth. The revenue bondholder defendants include the Monoline Insurers, Assured, AMBAC, National, and FGIC, and the respective bond trustees. The Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors joined the Oversight Board's motion for summary judgment on a limited basis. Arguments during Wednesday's hearing tracked those raised in the extensive briefing related to the motions and addressed preemption, sections 106E and 407 of PROMISA, the contract clause of the U.S. Constitution, and Rule 56D issues. Judge Swain questioned Oversight Board counsel on the scope and length of a payment obligation preemption, the Oversight Board's powers under PROMISA to approve budgets and not authorize certain payments whether the court could disallow contract claims without reaching the clawback issue, GO acceleration discovery documentation, and post-petition transfers. The court also questions counsel for the monolines on the extent to which the beneficiary of a local law, notwithstanding bankruptcy, is entitled to specific performance under all circumstances, and whether the, quote, how and why of a local law was preempted is material if the Oversight Board is right in its legal argument on the ability to not comply with the statute. Other top stories this past week were Equinox first lien term lenders organized with Gibson Dunn amid covenant liquidity pressure from club closures, required payments under Cycle credit facility guarantee. Noble Corp files valuation analysis, financial projections for DS. Evercore estimates midpoint TEV for reorganized debtors at $1.3 billion. Board Riders Ad Hoc Term Loan Group Council argues CERTA on steroids recap violates pro-rata sharing provision, relies on unauthorized intercreditor agreement, represents upheaval to conventional lending norms given ease of replication. Now here's Jim with the week ahead.
3: Well, thank you, Raksha. Good morning, y'all. And so here we are, a week that brings us the dregs of September and the heady new wine of October, which in mythological terms, at least, is always a month that brings drama worthy of Aeschylus or more likely Aristophanes to financial markets and society at large. Perhaps some of the events highlighted in this little augury of mine will be precipitators or more likely not. Anyway, Monday, September 28th, not a huge amount of stuff. Sanchez Energy, oral arguments in an omnibus hearing and also an omnibus hearing in JCPenney. Tuesday, September 29th, Garrett Motion, a continued cash collateral on dip hearing, omnibus hearing in sat. Wednesday, September 30th, Revlon, there's an ordered show calls hearing, stay relief and midstream adversary hearing and extraction, and an escrow issues hearing in Chesapeake. Thursday, October 1st, omnibus hearings in Borden, extraction again in continuation of the aforementioned midstream adversary hearing, confirmation hearing in Fairway, the New York grocer, I once visited a fairway, the branch over in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where, as it happens, H.P. Lovecraft, the immortal himself, placed one of his highly disturbing tales of cosmic horror, I mean, Red Hook, of course, not Fairway, there are also earnings from Bed, Bath and Beyond, And Friday, October 2nd, DS Backstop Hearing and Extraction and Neiman. There's a preliminary injunction hearing that is not related to the Chapter 11 cases, I don't think, but to the country music aspects of the matters, uh, what Johnny Cash might call the Ballad of Marble Ridge. And goodbye, that's all she wrote. And now I will pass it back to Connor, who will lift the parting glass and provide y'all with some words of cheer and comfort.
1: Thank you. And thanks again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review find all of our podcasts on the reorg site media page itunes and soundcloud and as always we hope you and your families are healthy and safe see you next week